Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dina Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio. I've got a new friend with us here coming to us all the way, not all the way, because you're you're kind of relatively close considering some of the guests we've had, but Steve Urchak from Northwest Ohio. Northeast. 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 Yep. I said Northwest. Yeah, I was thinking of the West. Northeast Ohio, but a diehard Browns fan. Welcome to the Project Purple podcast, Steve. Thanks for having me. And I threw that in there because before we hit the record button, you and I were talking here for quite some time about sports. I know sports have been a big part of your life, which we're going to get into, but you were just sharing a, a really cool story about you know the Browns and they're having a great season this year, finally. Um, and you know, how, you know, you, you kind of inspired and we're wearing your Baker Mayfield shirt and how that just kind of, you know, has just been a positive thing, you know, going through your journey with pancreatic cancer. So with that, Steve, as we always do with our guests is here's your opportunity to share with our audience. And some people may know you, I know you've got, you're pretty active on social media on Twitter. Um, you're kind of one of our, you know, pancreatic cancer warriors that's uh, raising awareness on Twitter, bringing things, you know, to light, you know, with this disease. So some, some of our fans may, may have seen some of your stuff on Twitter, because I know you're pretty active there, but, you know, for the rest of the audience, here's your opportunity to share your story. Um, and what I always say is, you know, it's up to our guest if, if you want to go as far back uh, as you want and, you know, share a little bit about your life and uh, we'll get into your journey with pancreatic cancer. So with that, the mic is yours, Steve. All right. Um, it was, I, I first started and I, I didn't realize until afterwards, but I, I first started having what I look back as a symptom is we went down to uh in december of of 2018 we went down to nashville you know and and you know went down and did the whole nashville thing and one of the things that my son and i were always talking about is you know we wanted to get some nashville hot chicken <laughs> and i i've always been a huge fan of hot food so you know i got this nashville hot chicken and i knew it was going to be hot but uh, you know, that night after eating it, it just, you know, my stomach hurt and, you know, I'm laying on the bed in the hotel room and, you know, I just, you know, it, it just seemed out of the ordinary and I really didn't think much about it, you know, and then we get back and, you know, we, I'm a, I was a high school teacher at the time and the first day back, uh, you know, I didn't feel good. And I went to school and I went home a half a day, hmm. the second half of the day. And, you know, there, I really, you know, I just thought, you know, a stomach ache, flu, I don't know. You know, so the next day I went to school and I'm in my first period class and two of the girls of my, you know, little ninth graders, they look at me and they go, hey, you don't look right, Mr. Urchek. You know, your coloring is bad. They go, you look kind of yellowish orange. And I go, well, I didn't really notice anything. So then I got to walk around the whole school and I'm looking, you know, asking my wife, hey, because she teaches the same school. Do I look orange or do I look yellow? You know, and, you know, she she goes, ah, maybe. So I went around and I talked to people and, you know, the, they said the same thing. So. You know, basically, I went to the doctor, you know, I, I went to the emergency room and, you know, eventually they'd ran all the tests on me. And, you know, they I was trying to get into one of the major, you know, big hospitals in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And eventually I got I got shipped there and they did all the tests. And, uh, you know, I had I had jaundice and they eventually put a stent in. And they diagnosed me with pancreatic cat cancer on, on uh, January 10th of 2019. And, you know, not knowing anything about it, you know, I knew that, you know, Patrick Swayze and Steve Jobs died of it. But, you know, you know, I know people have lived without a pancreas. And, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I, 
I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, the, the, the lethalness of the disease. And so I knew having cancer wasn't good, but, you know, didn't really know that, uh, you know, getting pancreatic cancer, you know, the, was a really, it was a tough diagnosis, but as time went on, you know, I could tell the way my, you know, my friends looked at me, you know, just looking the way they talked to me, you know, it, it kind of gave me the, the whole idea that, that, uh, you know, it was kind of the, the dead man walking look that everyone was giving me. And, you know, so, you know, that's when I first really started to see the, the seriousness of it. So, um, you know, I, I went and, I went and talked to a, a surgeon, um, guy from university hospital in, uh, in downtown Cleveland. And he based, he said, I was a candidate for Whipple for the Whipple surgery. And, mm-hmm. and I know, you know, what is it about 25% of the people that get diagnosed 20% are candidates for Whipple. So, I mean, yeah, one in five, you know, I felt, I, I felt that I was, I was really fortunate and, you know, you know, he told me, uh, you know, Dr. Hardacre told me that, uh, you know, it's a difficult surgery and, you know, until I got it, I didn't really realize, you know, when he said it was a difficult surgery, you know, I didn't realize what I was getting into. I, I knew it was going to be tough, but, um, so that was early January. And then, then I started, uh, my chemo early February. Uh, I, I was on, uh, the full Furinox regimen, yep. you know, and you know, the first time I got chemo, you know, I, I didn't realize, you know, they say you got to stay hydrated. Well, I didn't realize that normal me drinking and staying hydrated was not what they meant. And, <laughs> you know, long story short, because of the side effects and everything, you know, I, I ended up back in the emergency room up in Cleveland and ended up being in the, in the, in the hospital for four days with severe dehydration. You know, when I went in there, I knew it was kind of serious when, when the girl that was checking me in, I asked her what my blood pressure was. She goes 60 over 40. Mm. And, you know, they rushed me back in, you know, they, they gave me all kinds of fluids and, you know, but other than the first time being in there and then just making me feel, you know, making sure I was stable, wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I went home and then eventually, you know, finished up my, my, my chemo and, you know, they decided to stop when my oncologist called me and said that my, my, uh, CA 19.9 went down 300 points and, you know, we're going to do surgery on, you know, May 30th of 2019. So, you know, I got my date and I think the kind of the most ironic thing is, you know, right before, um, I was, I was invited by the Kent state baseball coach because I was a player there back in the eighties to, uh, throw out the first pitch for alumni day, you know, and it was awesome. You know, I, my school sold t-shirts as a fundraiser for me. You know, I got bought all my buddies t-shirts and we went down there and, you know, I mean, it was just such a cool experience to, to see all my, my buddies rallying around me. You know, it was just, it was fun, you know, I got it on video and I could hear all my, my buddies, you know, making fun of me, hoping I was going to throw the ball in the dirt or look really bad. But, you know, it was an awesome experience. And I think a lot of people, if they, if you, if you have a support system like I have, I mean, it makes, I mean, this isn't easy, but I got friends, family, community members, you know, people that don't even know me that, that have, you know, jumped in and anything I want, they, they want to do it for me. 
you know, like they had a basketball game and they had a fundraiser for me. And, um, our, our, um, one of our teachers and cheerleading advisor, Andrea Wonderling organized this whole thing. I mean, it, it, there was people I hadn't seen since I first started teaching, you know, former students came back and the whole idea of, you know, having a support system. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't see how I could ever get through this without having the support like I have. So I had my surgery, you know, and it's weird because now I've, I've had, I've had surgery before, but you know, I didn't even realize when they were wheeling me out of the operating room, I didn't even know if I had it yet, let alone I was, you know, I was out for nine and a half hours. <laughs> so, you know, I went, got back to the ICU and, you know, I was, I was in pain like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, as each day went on, you know, I got moved out of ICU, the regular room. Um, and you know, I, I had drains in me and I went home on the drains and, you know, after going home, I was, I was in the hospital for seven days, hmm. you know, going home, you know, you know, I didn't feel good, you know, obviously after doing what they did to me, but, you know, it was just figuring out what I could eat, what I couldn't eat, uh, and, and then the whole thing of getting up and walking around and, you know, push yourself, but don't go, don't overdo it was the biggest thing. And it was funny that first month I remember sitting in my chair, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I try to, you know, I, I try to be a tough guy all the time. <laughs> and I just remember sitting there and I'm talking to my wife and I was in such pain and I started, I always tell people, I started crying like a little baby, but I, I just hope this ends soon because I'm, I'm tired of it. And it was funny that, you know, it was like that one month in, and it's like, I did that and it seemed like the next day, boom, it was gone. And I was doing physical therapy, you know, and was on my way to recovery. And, um, you know, five weeks later, I started my my uh, second round of Fulfurinox. Um, and I, ironically, two months after I had my surgery, I was going to Myrtle Beach. Hmm. And, you know, my wife was mad at me for asking the doctor. <laughs> and I asked, you know, Dr. Hardacre, could I go out and could I golf? And like my wife, you know, she thought I was crazy. He goes, you can do whatever you want to do. So, you know, I got videos of me at Top Golf in Myrtle Beach two months to the day after having surgery. Wow. You know, I'm hitting golf balls and obviously I'm not gripping it and ripping it. But, yeah. you know, I was still the golf swings, not exactly the the easiest thing on your body. I, I was, you know, I was able to do that and. You know, that's one of the things I put out there because, you know, there are some people that get Whipple surgery and in two months afterwards, they're still, they've still got infections, issues, yeah. they've got hernias, they're still in the hospital. Yeah. So, you know, luckily I was able to get through that, that round of chemo and I finished that, um, I finished that on like the middle of September and I will always remember when I started my chemo, because in 2019, the all-star game was in Cleveland and I couldn't get tickets to the all-star game, but we went to the, you know, we went to the, uh, the celebrity game and the futures game and, you know, just did the whole, the whole thing with that comes with the, the all-star game and all the baseball stuff. And I mean, it, it was you know, being a baseball guy my whole life, you know, the day before my second round of chemo, I mean, it was just awesome to be up there. And, and, you know, I just remember going in there the next day because, you know, my doctors in Cleveland, 
And it, it was just like, I don't know, it was, it was, it was just a great weekend. And it was like, it kind of kicked off my, my second or I guess third round in, in this journey. So I went through September and I was fine. Uh, got a scan in, in uh, sometime in October and there was no reoccurrence and I was, cl- I was clean again. But one of the things I knew is when they went in there, you know, he said I had negative margins, but six of my 25 lymph nodes they removed had, were cancerous. And I, hmm. I certainly knew that wasn't a real good thing. So I was fine. And then, you know, my CA199 went up when I had a blood test in December, you know, same thing in January. So I had to go in and get a, a scan and they found a nodule in my lung. So this is a January, 2020. This was January of 2020. And I felt great. I didn't feel bad. I didn't have any pain. I didn't have any problem breathing. So, you know, this was right in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. So my, my oncologist said, basically, at that point, I was kind of, I had minimal disease in my lung. Mm-hmm. And, you know, starting treatment, it was, he basically said, we're going to, we're going to wait and see. And so I went through, you know, February, March, April, May, and then June, uh, we sold our house and bought a, uh, a smaller house with a smaller yard. I had five acres and being sick, I wasn't going to be able to keep everything up. And we moved and, you know, I was perfectly fine lifting, landscaping, doing everything. And then kind of in the middle of June, I started having just this terrible back pain and terrible stomach pain and you know, part of it was I thought, all right, maybe I over, overdid it with the moving. Mm. You know, maybe I gave myself a hernia, you know, whatever. Well, I had to go in. I finally went into the doctor because the pain was so bad I couldn't even sleep at night. Mm. And I found that um, it had returned to my my surgical site on my pancreas. and And I had another nodule in my lung. So he was going to start me on uh, gemcitabine and abraxane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a couple of weeks and, you know, I was on pain medicine. I was on Oxycontin, you know, every four to six hours. And it was, it, it wasn't doing anything to cut the pain. So then I went back in and they gave me, you know, morphine pills. So I was taking a morphine in the morning before I went to bed. And then in between I was doing the Oxycontin and, you know, I was lucky probably for three weeks. I was lucky to get an hour and a half of sleep. And most of that was walking around trying to figure out how I could lay down and be comfortable without pain. Hmm. So it was the Wednesday before I was going to start my treatment. My oncologist, uh, Dr. Saltzman, called me and wanted to know if I wanted to get into a, a clinical trial. And it was basically uh, gemcitabine, abraxane. Uh, every six weeks, I'd get Keytruda. Mm-hmm. And then every six weeks in this cycle, I would get the experimental drug it was this SEA CD40. It's something that from Merck and Seattle Genetics. And I was I was I was happy because you know I had all the genetic testing and I had no mutations. So that basically ruled me out for any immunotherapy. But this this study, they were taking people that that hadn't had any gemcitabine yet mm-hmm. 
And the funny thing was he called me on Wednesday and he delayed my chemo to the following Monday. And the day after that, he called me back and he basically said, I wouldn't have been eligible for, the for trial. this clinical yeah. trial. So, you know, I started in that and I, you know, I try to be pretty calm and even keel. Don't get down, don't get too far up. But, you know, it, my, my uh, CA-199 had risen to 49,000. Wow. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. So, you know, I, I start on these, the trial. And after the, the first round, uh, the first cycle of the trial, it had dropped like almost 80% my, my wow. tumor marker. Then the second round, it dropped even more. Third round, it dropped. And everything was going good. And, and you know, the only thing that was tough about it is when I get the study drug, you know, it was a four and a half hour infusion. Mm. And I would, I would get the cold shakes mm-hmm. and they'd have to give me Demerol to stop that. And it seemed like every time they'd stop it, you know, I'd finish it. And then every time I'd have to run in the bathroom and get sick. Hmm. But, uh, you know, it just seemed like it's, it's been, it, the study has been great. You know, now I've kind of had a little setback. My, my, uh, tumor markers have tripled from what they were before, but, you know, just like before, you know, I kept an even keel about that traumatic drop in my tumor marker. So I haven't got real excited about, you know, my rise. But obviously, I know it's not a good thing, but I had a scan and my scans were stable. Hmm. So, you know, obviously, I know that the tumor marker could be a predictor of things to come. But again, I, you know, I trust my doctor. I, you know, I, 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 you know, he's been, been awesome, you know, university hospital, the nurses, I mean, they're saints, those women. I mean, they're just the way they treat me, the way they care for me. I mean, you know, it's, it's not all it's, you know, it's a lot of times when you are, you go to the hospital, you're not as used to being treated like that. And, you know, these, these chemo nurses, I mean, they, I mean, they, they're like, you know, they're like messengers from God that have been sent to you, how much they take care of you. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in my sixth cycle. You know, I've, I've had a, a tough time with my, my white blood count last week. They had to withhold my chemo. And, you know, yesterday I got the, the Keytruda, but, um, you know, hopefully after having a week off and then, Next week, you know, I didn't get chemo because I just got the, the immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hoping next week that I'll get my chemo and they're going to use, I'm going to be getting shots to help boost my white blood cell count. So and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Just, you know, hanging out, you know, I, I had to go, you know, I couldn't go back to work. So after, you know, almost 30 years of teaching, I filed for disability and, you know, I'm, I'm out and, you know, me and my dog are at home. <laughs> we go for walks, you know, I'm kind of an avid, avid fisherman. So I kind of took up the the hobby of uh, making fishing lures at home. So I, you know, I've filled the void of, uh, of, of teaching. Uh, <laughs> with, yeah. The, the, with, the teaching with, with building with, lures. Uh, making fishing lures so you know wow. so that's kind of where i'm at now so i've got a couple questions and we're gonna go all, right. all the way back to the beginning you said in december of 18 you went to nashville and that was kind of you know the first time that you had kind of right issues and i, I asked this question because i know hindsight's 2020 steve and you probably right. have done this a couple times this exercise if you look back I mean, go back to like, you know, when you were young, uh, you know, in high school or even playing ball there at Kent State. 
did you have any issues? Like, and when I say issues, you know, like when we talk about this disease, you know, symptoms, back pain, weight loss, you know what, you know, any of them that that would come through. I mean, I know you said the kids. As far as weight loss, I mean, what, obviously I know I, I didn't live, I didn't live the healthiest lifestyle, you know, you know, I wasn't afraid to have a beer or two or, you know, chicken wings were a big thing for me. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, I gained a lot of weight and, you know, one of the, one of the things, you know, big thing is, is obesity. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that probably didn't help me, but no, there was nothing, nothing. And again, we talk about, you know, Monday, Monday morning quarterback hindsight, you know, I had a tough time controlling because I was type two diabetic, obviously because of my, my weight, um, I had a tough time controlling my blood sugar. Mm -hmm. So they kept increasing my insulin and looking back, I have to think that was maybe two years before I was diagnosed looking back, you know, now that I know, and that was something that I probably should have been more concerned with. I just thought it was my diet might've been I wasn't sticking with my diet like I should maybe not exercising enough, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, that, you know, but nothing is that I was younger, but, you know, here's the other thing, you know, both my ba- grandparents died of, on my mom's side died of cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's got prostate cancer and my sister has breast cancer. So there is cancer so, in the in the family line, right? Yeah. So I mean, obviously the, you know, there's that correlation between breast cancer and pancreatic. Yep. So, well, I think you know, and, and I, I just I, I, we always ask that question. I always ask that question because I think right. it's just fascinating, and and you know, it's not to beat you up, and, and you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And so, right. The, the first comment is like, you know, uh, diabetes. Yeah, there's a link, and right. I, I think right. with, with all of this, Steve, as you know, you're you're going through it. We just don't know enough. You know, the genetics piece is fascinating because I think, you know, we, we've seen just in the last five years how quickly that science has moved. Right. You know, and so, you know, yeah, knowing that there's cancer present in your family history, you know, you you don't have a mutation, but maybe you have something that hasn't been identified. And, exactly. you know, we that's a good thing, bad thing, right? And so. Well, the, the thing I, I look at with everything is uh, obviously I know there's nothing that's, I mean, to be cured of this disease, you know, at this point, my, where I'm at, I mean, it's a miracle would have to happen for that. But, you know, being a baseball guy, you know, I, I, I told my wife the one day, I said, it's, it's the bottom of the ninth and I'm down a couple runs and all I want to do is tie this thing up. Yeah and get it and get it to the to extra innings and i said if i can keep getting this you know keeping that keep this thing going you know and i just look at what has happened since i was diagnosed when i was first diagnosed uh it was a five percent survival rate you know it's 10 now it's yeah it's 10 now so i mean you know who knows i mean if i could keep fighting this thing off and you know the, the other thing too is you know the stuff that cures me it makes me feel better at the same time you know it's pretty tough on my body mm-hmm. so you know the other the catch 22 is you know keep getting treatment but also do as much as you can to, to take care of yourself and stay in, in good enough shape that that uh you know, my body doesn't break down and allow me to die of something other than, than pancreatic cancer. Especially now with COVID. Oh, I know. And, you know, the other thing too is, you know, I've, I've lost probably close to a hundred pounds since my Whipple. And, you know, Everyone goes, oh, you look good. Well, I look good. I'm, I'm just skinny, <laughs> you know. You know, I'm, I'm down. I, I told my, my oncologist. I said, 
I'm down to my playing weight when I was in college. <laughs> so, you know, the, and the COVID thing scares me. So let's, let's you know? talk about that for a second. The COVID thing, how, how has, because you started, you know, and this is that, that the thing that I, you know, I, I've said this, like, I think people who are immunocompromised understand the severity and maybe people who do not, and, uh, you know, uh, taking everything with a grain of salt here, you know, probably don't understand what that is. And I know we've had patients on, you know, since COVID started and talking about like this reality is like, hey, wife pulls up, husband's battling, husband gets out, says goodbye to the wife and see you in four hours, six hours, eight right. hours, you know, and, and you know, we had a, a couple on, you know, and they talked about, you know, how they did everything together, every single appointment. And then, you know, the, the husband would take the binder with all the notes and all the information just in case if there was a question, um, you know, into the appointment and say goodbye to the wife and the wife would wait in the, the parking lot, you know. So how has it changed? I mean, clearly you you got diagnosed prior to, you had, a, you know, surgery prior to, you had treatment prior to. Talk about how that changed during it now, like with this clinical trial. Clearly well, you you're... know, what's amazing is at university, they still allow me to have one person go with me. So well, that's good. You know, I, I see my oncologist every other week in when person? I go get my chemo. Yeah, in person. And it's when I get my chemo. So, you know, the, the Wednesdays I get my chemo, my wife always goes with me. And, you know, she's got like, you, it's funny you mentioned the binder, you know, she's uh, my wife's got the ultimate binder and she's got everything that's ever happened to me and every question or everything that the doctor said, it's all written down in there. And so, you know, that really hasn't changed. Now, obviously, all the protocols, you know, the mask, you know, it's just, you know. I get in the elevator. I make sure no one's in the elevator with me. Yeah. You know, just little things like that, but it hasn't, it hasn't changed that much for me, but you know, I know, you know, probably if, if I was getting treatment back in April, you know, I would think that it might've been a little different. I'm because I think when I started getting my treatment and at the end of June, they just started letting. Yeah. It started to open up a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I kind of, there was that couple month gap, but I didn't have anything that, you know, it, it probably changed, but I kind of missed that. Now, obviously in Ohio, you know, our cases are up 50%. You know, I look at the map and we're like a red state Yeah. and, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Time will tell. I mean, I, I think, you know, um, you know, all across the country it's, it's increasing. And I know that here in Connecticut where we are, um, you know, they, they have pulled back visitation, the hospitals and, and, you know, it was open for a while, um, in terms of being able to go see family members that were in the hospital right. and, and go attend with them. But I think that just with this recent uptick. Uh, they right. kind of pulled that back. Um, but I know it's, it's been a challenge, you know, because I think, you know, something that you just said, you know, just the, the simple thing of being in an elevator, you know, this is, you know, life or death. Um, clearly exactly. you do not want to get COVID if you have a compromised immunity and you are battling, you know, this thing called pancreatic cancer. So those little things like, you know, maybe just, you know, being smart about, you know, where you, uh, you go and also, you know, who's with you, um, you know, in right. terms of being in that ele elevator by yourself or with your wife versus, you know, random strangers that, uh, right. you know, potentially, you know, is, is something that I think is really important, especially now given, you know, what everyone is facing. I, I got a question for you, Steve. You, All right. pl you played baseball, Kent State, and then you, you were in high school for 30 years, but you were coaching for a bunch of time, right? Is that, am yeah, I right? I, I, uh, I was a head baseball coach. And I coached baseball, you know, for over 20 years. Wow. And I was an assistant football coach. At the high school for level? Probably about at the high school level for about 18 years. And uh, 
I coached, I was a, an assistant basketball coach on and off boys and girls for, you know, part of that time. So, you know, it, it's always been a big thing for me. And I, and I think the, the biggest thing that just breaks my heart is, you know, when I got diagnosed, I was coaching at a different high school and it was my second year. Mm. And, you know, the, my first year, you know, we were, I think we were 11 and 12 and we, we were just getting ready to turn the corner. <laughs> you know, you know, they, they had struggled, you know, small Catholic school, low enrollment. Uh, and it just broke my heart because I, I had developed such a, a bond with those kids because they had been beaten up, you know, athletically, you know, for a while. And all of a sudden it just seemed like in that first year, everything kind of clicked and, you know, I, I, I tell them and they, they get mad at me when I tell them this, <laughs> I tell them we're starting to play something that looks like baseball now. <laughs> and it, and it, it was, and we could play with, you know, we weren't going to play with really good teams, but you could tell that something was going on. So for me to, and I, it was it was a tough day for me to go in there and tell those poor kids that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to come back because of, because I got cancer. Mm. And the, the, ironically, you know, just all the guys I coached, I mean, I, I lean on a lot of those guys, especially, you know, they always want to know how I'm doing. And, you know, it's just... You know, we, you think about sports winning and losing, but it's those you know, lifelong relationships that you have with your players or even in high school. You know, I still, my, my high school basketball coach, you know, he, he calls me or texts me all the time to see how I'm doing. So, I mean, that, you know, and it's just, you know, my wife and my son and my daughter, you know, and my, my parents, you know, they've just, they've just been huge for me. And then, you know, my, my coworkers from school, you know, you know, they, they wear my, the, the pancreatic cancer shirt, you know, they'll have days that they wear it. And I mean, it's just in the community, you know, they, the McDonald's where we live, you know, they put a, what they put a big thing up on the, on their sign about how they support me. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just amazing. That's pretty special. And, and, you know, one of my questions here was your support system. Cause you talked about that and just hearing you talk now, just, uh, it's pretty special. Oh, I, and like there, there were some times and I'll tell you when I first got diagnosed, I just, I'd, I'm, I told him, I told my wife, I'm staying home. I'm not going to school. Why? And well, I, you know what? I have no idea. <laughs> Were you embarrassed? No, it was, it was more of, and, and like people get mad at me when I say this, I thought, you know, what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to run through my sick days and I'm going to die. I mean, that was the first thing that I got in my head. How come, why then, did you think that, Steve, though? You know what? Because one day I was on the internet and I tried not mm. to do it. You know, I read something. I go, man, this is bad. Yep. And and then the funny thing was I, I started coming to school once I started getting my chemo. Hmm. When, I, the, when I wasn't feeling good. And I thought to myself, if... If I'm going to beat this, I've got to save my, my sick days and I got to start coming back to school. And I found out that coming back to school, it was the, you know, obviously the chemo helped me, but yeah. it was the best medicine that I got during this whole thing. You know, the, the fact that I was able to, to, um, come back, I had a little bit of, 
you know, I had some kind of order in my day every day. And, uh, and the, the funny thing was too, is that, you know, I, I volunteered with the football team and, you know, I sat up in the box on game day, you know, and helped that helped out with that. And, you know, it, it was just those kids just, you know, they, they, they were so, I never had a discipline problem. You know, my kids would walk into my room and I had a big thing of hand sanitizer and every one of them, they'd come in and they'd get a pump of the hand sanitizer and then they would go sit down. You know, and the one time there was a kid that was up and I said, you need to have a seat. We're going to start class. And she goes, Miss Jerchek, I haven't sanitized my hands yet. And I felt like such a jerk that I was yelling at this girl for doing what I had told him to do. So, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, my, you know, my principal, my administration, they've just been, they've just been great. And, you know, the other thing too, is my, my, my Kent state buddies, you know, they just, they, they text me. We got a, we got a, a thread. There's about 12 of us, you know, there isn't a day that goes by that we don't talk. So, I mean, it's just, you know, they come up and they've come up and seen, they, they've seen me and, you know, they, they all, they're always concerned about everything that's going on with me. So, I mean, I, I can't, you know, if there's anyone that's got a better support system than the people I've had with, you know, just my around me, it's, it, I, I find it hard to believe in, you know, my, 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 my surgeon, you know, my surgeon, I mean, that's, that's really when I, when I talked to him and he described the whole thing and he did everything he could to make me feel confident. And on top of that, you know, he just exude confidence, you know, you know, I, I just remember, um, uh, I, someone asked me who my surgeon was going to be. And I said, Dr. Jeffrey Hardacre. And they, they worked at the, in the university hospital, you know, system. And this woman goes, he's a badass. And, and I thought, gosh, I couldn't have said that any better than because everything about him, you know, he's a confident guy. And I don't, I don't want some guy that questions himself, you know, this guy, you know, he, he just, you know, he was just awesome. And my, my oncologist, you know, Dr. Saltzman, you know, he called me when my, my tumor markers went down, you know, you know, he's just, you know, I, I couldn't imagine being in that position because let's face it, when your job is dealing with cancer patients, you know, there's a, there's a lot of the times that a lot of the, you know, a lot of the patients, there's not a good outcome, but I mean, you know, my wife gets mad at me because one of the things that we always, we always talk about is he's a big baseball Cleveland Indians guy. And my wife will yell at me because I'll start talking about the Indians. (laughs) And, you know, I was I was asking because last year Carlos Carrasco, one of our pitchers, had leukemia, and he came back after he was done with his treatment and was was pitching, and you know I was just asking him, you know, it, do people come back and actually can do things like that, and you know it, it you know it, it when I'm talking to him instead of always talking about, you know the negatives that are going on or whatever. And he, he knew that I liked baseball and he knew I was comfortable and it was a way that I think he helped me feel a little more secure when I talked to him. So, I mean, it's just, you know, I complain. I mean, I mean, Connecticut, the, Connecticut, the weather can't be real good in the winter, nope. you know, but we get, the, <laughs> we get, we get the, the dreaded lake effect snow yep. where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I always complain about the weather here. And the one thing that I realized 
is no matter how bad the weather is, that I can still go to Cleveland and we have world-class health care in Cleveland with University Hospital, Cleveland Clinic. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you the, know, the, the, the it's just been awesome. The weather in this area is not great all year round. And right. like this upper northwest peninsula or north, not peninsula, but northwestern part of the country. But we've got great access to care. You're within an hour. You know, I, I think in most places, you know, you can be within a couple hours to some great, great right. clinicians and facilities. So that is a benefit. I, right. I, I got, I want to say something here, you know, and something that you said, a couple things here. You know, one is routine. And I, and, you know, we've heard a lot about this, Steve, you know, about like how, you know, people maintaining those routines and how you said going to school, you know, was just so uplifting for you and how that helped you with your routine and gave you that, you know, energy and like, yeah, you can do this and get through it. And then the, the other thing is the support system. And we've heard a lot about this, you know, um, and, and one of the questions that I have for you, I've got a couple questions here is, you know, you've mentioned a lot of things, you know, with the support system, the doctors, you know, believing in your doctors, which I think is critical. Um, you know, a lot of times we hear from patients that the doctor was a jerk and I always say go somewhere else because there's so many right. great doctors. And if you don't connect and if you don't have faith in that doctor, then you know what? It's, it's a lose-lose. Um, right. You, you got to have that connection. But a lot of times people get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and other cancers and friends and family don't know what to do. And we get that question here at Project Purple. They're like, you know, hey, so-and-so just got diagnosed. What's the best thing that we can do for that person? So with that, I wanted to ask you, what's maybe, it could be a couple things. What's some of the best things that, whether it was family or friends that they've done for you since you've been diagnosed? Well, you know, I, I had a friend that died of colon cancer. And, you know, he was, his daughter and my daughter played softball together in high school and in the summer. And he was a, you know, he coached basketball and, and, uh, I, I always felt, and this is long before I was even diagnosed and I always felt that I should have been there more for him when he was diagnosed and I, I, you know, to this day, I feel bad that I didn't go see him more because it wasn't anything with him. It was, I couldn't deal with it. Hmm. So I think the biggest thing is that, you know, if you got friends and family, you know, make them know, because a lot of people think, you know, there are some people that get cancer and they know it's not going to be good. And they don't want to be around anybody. But, you know, the, what, what I have seen is with me, you know, obviously the COVID has kind of messed all this up. But, yeah. you know, when I get to see people, you know, being, I mean, my whole life, everything about me, I've, I've been a social person, you know. And, and I always say that as a, as a high school teacher, you know, my, my whole life has been like an open book. You know, you know, I don't, I go to church. I'm still Mr. Urchek or coach Urchek. I go to the, I go to the, you know, the, to, to get food at the, at the store, you know, I'm still that teacher. So, you know, I thought to myself, you know what, I've used social media, you know, I, I get tired of seeing the political stuff on there and I'm probably as guilty as anyone, but. <laughs> You know what? I use social media to let everyone know how I'm doing, and you know, and Kurt, you know, and you know, call me up, come see me. You know, when it's warm, we go out and sit outside, and you know, encourage people that you're still the same person. You know, you just you just got a bad got a bad draw, and you know, you're fighting a disease, and and the fact that you have people there supporting you. I mean, I don't think they understand how much that means to us. And I, I just, I'm, I'm just lucky that I've had 
such a great support system from my friends, my family, and my community. It's powerful. Powerful stuff. Next question for you. Given what you've gone through, and this relates to your journey, someone who's listening to this that just got diagnosed today, and it could be more than one thing. These are kind of hard questions, a little bit loaded. Right. What would be your best advice to that person? Well, there's so many people that would tell you that, you know, the key to this is having a positive attitude. (laughs) And it's, you know, how many times have you heard, you know, that's as important as your medicine? Well, (laughs) now your medicine's probably a little more important than your positive (laughs) attitude. But, but, you know, the idea of, I think not just having a positive attitude, I think like having an, an even keel, like when you're going through this, when something good doesn't happen, you know, don't jump for joy too much. And when something bad happens, you know, don't, don't go, woe is me. The, the sky's falling. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, our, our manager in Cleveland is, is Terry Francona. And, you know, I used to look at these, these baseball managers and they never get excited. They don't get mad. They don't get too happy. They just sit in the dugout and take it all in. And I think the biggest thing is that kind of stuck in my head is, uh, Earl Weaver, who was the manager of Baltimore Mm -hmm. back in the eighties. Uh, he got a question from a rookie reporter about something. Why aren't you mad about this? He said, son, we do this 162 days a year. So to get too excited and to get too, too mad or too happy doesn't do me any good. And I think, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to keep that approach where I don't get too excited. And, and I know, you know, there's times, you know, my daughter took a job in, in Honolulu and I, I see her, you know, I've seen her one time since last November mm-hmm. and, you know, but I know that, you know, it's, it's her life and it, and it makes me happy knowing that, you know, that she's got a good job and, and, and she's doing, and I think that helps me with my rec- trying to fight this disease. So I don't know if that answers the question, but there, that answers it perfectly. I mean, there's no right or wrong to that. I, I got a question for you. Knowing you played baseball, if there's anyone living or deceased, what what was first of all, what position did you play when you played? I was Kansas? a pitcher. Okay. So if you had to warm up, I know pitchers. I, I've been to a couple of major league baseball games. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was fortunate to go to batting practice a couple years ago. Uh, San Francisco uh, Giants. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And was there super early, and I didn't. You know, I, I mean, you know that these guys are professionals, but the amount of work that they do prior to the game is like a workout right. in itself. So if you if you had to warm up with with a player, living or deceased, who would that person be? Well, obviously, I, the the easiest one would be with my dad. Wow. Because, you know, growing up, you know, he's the guy that helped me more than anybody, more than any coach. He coached me, was with me. You know, as I started getting older, he still was catching me. And, you know, once I got to 14, you know, I used to beat him up pretty good with balls in the dirt. And you know, he, he kind of backed away, but, you know, obviously him, but. Um, uh, I guess the easy one would be Thurman Munson, <laughs> the, the former Yankees Yankee, yeah. catcher. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, he's a, he's a Kent state guy, yeah, Ohio guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, the, one of the games they had, they had a Thurman Munson, Kent state Jersey day at Kent, you know, and he still looked at, as being a a hero 
and in the funny thing is that every year <clears throat> where there's a <clears throat> the anniversary of his death i always remember it it's pretty special steve I got a statement, and then I have one more question. You got Sorry. me. You got me choked up a bit there with. Uh, I know. With saying your dad, and uh, man, it doesn't happen often on this podcast, but uh, you know that's that's pretty special to to say that your dad would be the person you'd want to play catch with. So. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I've done a lot of these episodes, I think, you know, 100 plus. And I've always mentioned this, not always, but a lot of times when we, when we talk to survivors. And I've been taking notes this whole time. I'm looking at my notes. And there's something fascinating here that I, I just want to mention and talk briefly about. I've talked about this arc that survivors are on and possibly things in life that they did prior to experiences, things they went wow. through, things they did. And then they go through and they battle pancreatic cancer and they're on this journey with pancreatic cancer. And they may have not realized the things that they did earlier in life or the, the, the journey they were on prior to prepared them for this fight and this journey that they're on with now. But to hear you talk for the last 58 minutes, as I look at the timer, and the way that you've presented certain things, you played baseball at Kent State, and then you coached for a really long time, and you, and you talked about coaching those kids at the Catholic school and how you know you were just turning that corner. There's such a parallel to how you're battling this disease as if you're coaching yourself through it the same way you probably would coach a team and as you said you know you, you took that catholic school team you know you took the job and you know you just were you guys were just turning that corner to actually playing baseball so it's just fascinating to me and, and uh it's just a privilege to to talk to you here about your journey uh but well, the amazing thing was too is i when all this you know last year i was I came back and I was volunteering at, at the high school where I coached where I, and where I teach. And I'm thinking, you know, all of a sudden COVID comes and I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I was coaching at St. John and cancer ends my coaching and I'm coaching back at Pima Tuning Valley and COVID ends my coaching. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I just want to end. I want it to end on my own terms. terms yeah. And that's the thing that, uh, that upsets me a little bit. You know, a lot of this, this, my teaching career ended not on my own terms, you know, and, and I know a lot, I'm not the only one. And, and you mentioned about coaching has helped me. Well, my son, who's 23 now, uh, he was born three months premature. And, you know, he just graduated from college with a master's and, you know, he was, he had so many problems and they just, that poor little kid was anything you could imagine, two surgeries before he was, you know, four months old and, you know, the outlook for him wasn't very good. And at any time that, that I feel bad, I think of people like him, I'm thinking this poor little kid. You know, he got, he was getting poked and prodded no matter what they do to me. Uh, there's nothing that can be worse than what they did to him. And then I think of this little girl that I taught in high school. You know, she's a five-time leukemia survivor. I mean, little girl, Emily Hunt. And, you know, I, I, I always talk to her and I talk to her mom and I think, you know, people always say, well, you got a bad break, but. No, she had a bad break hmm. and, and, and she fought it and she's doing well now. So, I mean, you know, it's just, you draw on the experiences of other people that, and you think instead of feeling sorry for yourself, 
you know, you feel happy for yourself because other than maybe seven weeks, you know, right after a month after my Whipple and the kind of the three weeks this summer, I've led a pretty good life during this disease. I've had very little problems with the chemo. So I'm fortunate for that because, you know, I'm, I'm on support groups on Facebook and stuff like that. And I just hear the horror stories and, you know, no matter what happens to me, you know, this almost two years, I don't want to say it's been a breeze, but compared to what other people have gone through, you know, I'm really, really fortunate to have lived the, what I've lived so far. It's inspiration. Inspiring to hear, Steve. My last question for you, and again, this is uh, your definition how you describe it. There's no right or wrong. It is a, a loaded question. What is your definition of the term pancreatic cancer? Well, probably when I, when I talk about it, when I'm on Twitter, I always refer to it as the beast because <laughs> when I, I look at how it affects people, you know, and it, it's a life changer. Because, like, and it, it, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever said, <laughs> but when I look at pancreatic cancer, like, I don't, I, I don't know what someone that has lung cancer goes through. I don't know what, you know, someone that has brain cancer, leukemia, but, you know, I got to watch everything I do. I've got to watch that it doesn't kind of upset that delicate balance you know, you know, obviously your, your pancreas is involved in your digestion. And I mean, obviously with what they, they take out of you during Whipple, you know, I always, I always tell people I'm like a, I'm a car without a catalytic converter. I'm, I got a straight pipe and you know, you got to watch what you eat and you got, you know, you see these commercials about being close to the bathroom, just things like that. You know, you never thought about, you know, you can't eat fried food. I'm, I'm a big chicken wing guy and, you know, watch a football game or a baseball game, eat some wings and, you know, you know, just things like that, you know, going fishing with, I went fishing with my dad the other day and, you know, I was all terrified that at the boat launch, the bathrooms were locked. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. man, what if something happens and I got to go to the bathroom? I mean, that that's what this, it's everything this cancer does. It's a life changer for you. So, you know, you know, now my, my, uh, my white blood cells are low, so I got to avoid eating, you know, vegetables or fruit that's not cooked yeah. and, and you know, just little things like that. You know, obviously that's any cancer patient, but it was just, you know, that all the stuff that I was eating that it has made me feel better. You know, I got to avoid it now and processed food and, you know, anything fried or greasy. You know, I'm a big hot food guy. Well, I, I can't eat hot. I mean, I eat some, but I can't eat. You know, I'm a big chili. I make my own chili. You know, we have a chili cook-off at the school. I took pride in my chili and how hot it was. And, <laughs> you know, now I make my chili and it's hot and everyone's mad at me. It's too hot and I can't even eat it unless I make it with, you know, I got to make it with, you know, impossible beef or chicken or turkey, you know, so it's just little things like that, that you never think about before you get diagnosed. Perfect answer. My last thing for you, and this has been awesome. I want to thank you for, uh, you know, being honest and, and sharing and allowing me to, to, guide you through this podcast. But if someone heard something today, Steve, and I know we've mentioned the internet a bit, uh, but I know we, we said before you're active on social media, but if someone wants to connect with you, continue to follow your journey, or maybe someone, like I said, is diagnosed today and, and is inspired to talk to you more, where's the best place for them to connect with you, reach out? They could, they could message me on, on Twitter, on Twitter, 
you know, if they could get a hold of you, you can give them my phone yeah. number. I mean, just because I've, I've told, you know, I've, I've known people have been diagnosed since I've been diagnosed and, you know, they, they just don't feel comfortable talking about it with me. I don't, I mean, I talk to anyone about it. And so on Twitter, your handle's simple, right? It's just your first and last yeah. name, which is Steve. Yep. And then yep. Urchek, which is U-R-C-H-E-K. Yep. Awesome. Steve, thank you for allowing us to share your journey and allowing me to guide you through that process here in this podcast. You've been a great guest. Thank you very much for having me. It's been our pleasure. For our audience at home, please, if you like what you hear today, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, share this podcast, please be safe. And as we say, until next time, that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Yeah.